Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. I'd like to race through this because as far as uh, dead horses go, I I do feel like this one has been beaten, um, which is that... What is Voice San Diego if not the crusher of dead horses? (laughs) Yeah. We just... There's a a t-shirt there for our podcast. (laughs) Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. And I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Keats, managing editor at Voice San Diego. What's up, Andy? Scott, what's up, homie? Fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafano. What's up, Lopez? What's up, Lewis? Coming up on the show this week, the San Diego City Council had a lively week of hearings for once. We actually got some uh, back and forth, some... Fireworks in council chambers, at least in our opinion. (laughs) Return to DeMaio era. Yeah, yeah. Aguirre. Aguirre era, yeah. Yeah. City attorney Mara Elliott accused city council president Sean Elo Rivera of trying to silence her and argued she was being treated differently than predecessors in her spot, who were all men. Council member Raul Campillo was the lone vote against the big sports arena redevelopment project. Uh, we'll share some highlights from that meeting. We uh, we probably won't hear from that for a while now as they go and cook things up in the back room and then come out and tell us what they came up with, right? Oh, we're going to get quarterly updates. Quarterly, yeah. That's yeah. Hot, hot quarterly updates. That's well, that's something that's going to happen. Yeah. And finally, I've, got, I've obtained some uh, emails 
It turns out local basketball legend, probably the most famous guy in San Diego, maybe. Close. Mm -hmm. Bill Walton. Most famous Grateful Dead fan. He is fed up. He has filled the mayor's inbox, his email inbox, with some spoken word level frustration about the state of homelessness in San Diego. He's not the only one. It feels like we're at a new low. There's a lot of data, a lot of anecdotal evidence that things are worse than they've ever been. And for the second half of the show, I sat down with Council President Sean Elo Rivera about what he would say to folks like Walton. I'm trying really hard to see what these leaders are saying they're going to do. What is their plan? And I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's close. It's tough. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Politifest is just weeks away. We have a great program lined up for you. Of course, we'll kick off the event at Politifest South on Thursday, October 6th. That'll be a two-part live podcast featuring mayoral candidates for Chula Vista and National City. Then, on October 8th, we have San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria and County Supervisor Chair Nathan Fletcher discussing homelessness. We've also got a debate for the sheriff's race, midway height limit, cannabis regulation, sports gaming initiatives, and a lot more. Check it out now at politifest.org. Get tickets for yourself and your fellow news junkies. Students are free. Again, that's politifest.org. You know, if you just went to the one where the Emily Hooven from Cal Matters will be breaking down the the statewide ballot initiatives, you'd be such a star at the next party you went to. Yeah, imagine you could, what you could do among your friends. You could, you could like it'd be like a parlor trick. Yeah, You're like we're like teaching you like seven magic tricks at once. Maybe like, I see all these ads. I don't know what the props are. You'd be like, which one? Let's go. Yeah. yeah like you kind of say that jokingly, I think, or maybe for uh, I could, I don't I'm know. serious as hard as that. But I've gone to so many, well, I don't go to so many parties, but I have gone to parties <laughs> where like someone's talking about something and I'll say, oh, actually that's this. And I start yeah. explaining it and then they're like, wow, like I, I do uh, become the coolest person Scott's, at the party. Scott's never done that at, uh, at a party. He, that's, <laughs> that's not the type of thing he would do. The other day I was, I was getting the softball field ready for something and this guy and this other coach came up to me and he said, hey, so you know this bridge they're building there, I was wondering if, if that's going to be, the other side of it's going to be whatever, it was some question about infrastructure and I was like, oh, well, it's going to be this. And he was like, thanks. And I was like, hey, I just want to say thank you to you. <laughs> this is a great honor that you asked me that question. He's like, oh, I knew you'd know. And I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> Did you want to cry? I'm good now. Thank you. I'm, I've achieved life's nirvana. That was yesterday. Um, I took a lift and the lift driver asked me, is SDPD the same as Harbor Police? And I was like, oh, no, here. And I explained all this Ugh. stuff. He's like, oh, you know this because you grew up here. And I was like, no, I, I'm a journalist. And yeah. he's like, wow, that's really cool. But he had all these questions about jurisdiction. I don't know why. It's kind of odd. <laughs> I would love to do a port discussion with somebody like that. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty into just like letting them have what, it, like if he had said that to me, I would have been like, yeah, they're the same. <laughs> <laughs> You're evil. <laughs> Andy, big development this week in one of the narratives you've been following about the Housing Commission's purchase of two hotels mm -hmm. to help homeless folks find a place to live. Yeah. The, they, the, the Housing Commission, when they purchased these hotels, they hired a broker. That broker, after being hired but before helping with the purchase of those hotels, 
made a, a large financial investment in the seller of one of those hotels. 40,000 40, shares. 40,000 shares. This is a, a significant investment. Um, and so uh, that is not like what you're supposed to do in the grand scheme of things, at least as alleged by the Housing Commission in the San Diego, city of San Diego, who brought a lawsuit alleging that they had been defrauded, about alleging that this was a violation of government code section 1090, essentially that this was an illegal conflict of interest. Uh-huh. That lawsuit was about a year old. Um, and about a month ago, City Attorney Mara Elliott announced via press release that she had agreed to a settlement, that her lawyers and Jim Neal, the broker, and his employer, Kidder Matthews, had come to a deal to settle that arrangement. Uh, that went to the San Diego Housing Commission for approval, which it received, although a couple housing commissioners uh, voiced concerns that they still didn't exactly have clarity on whether the city paid the right price. And they were a little frustrated that the lawsuit and the settlement had been concluded without getting that clarity. I, I think it's worth doing that one real quick. Okay, fair enough. I thought I was like, I, know, I, I was I know, really I, running I through it. I appreciate what you're yeah, doing there, yeah, but this you. is a big deal. They, they they paid for this hotel based on an appraisal and a price of the hotel. Yeah. And the appraisal was backdated from before the pandemic when the pandemic had a lot of impact on the value of hotels yes and only the hotel that was being sold by the company in which jim neal had invested in had that backdated appraisal just to translate a little further yeah. they paid more than maybe they should have yeah. because of a appraisal that was done before this massive economic disruption it was not done before it it was done right in the middle of it they just assumed right. that the value that they were paying was was and yes. this happened to be for the hotel that the man had uh invested in the company in which it was being sold wow that's tough yeah it's, it's yeah I there's know. a lot of in witches totally but um, okay there they they hadn't settled that part of it or it wasn't part of the discussion it was and, not part and of so the a couple discussion. of the commissioners were like why not yes and then the so then it went to the city council this week for for approval from that body, uh, which it received. Um, however, and this is where we get to, you know, so there's more discussion to be had about this this deal, whether this was a good settlement, um, whether we'll ever get answers to the question about that appraisal. And in fact, we, we know now that the Housing Commission is going to pursue an, a, a, an appraisal to, to try to bring clarity to some of those questions. It's unfortunate that for the last year that hadn't happened yet because and and also i think the, you guys scooped on that story right <laughs> yes i did thank you jeff jeff mcdonald from the union Tribune got that oh, I, should, I, I do think sure i remembered which one you're talking yeah about. i do think though that uh this one that, thing that you've been following very closely for a while that, the, that he the, got that that's that's accurate uh the <laughs> the relevant question still seems to me to be like why that appraisal backdated and who gave that instruction and why did they do that? Um, so a new appraisal, while I welcome it, won't necessarily answer those questions. What we should get is a public answer of why that happened. It'd be great for somebody to try to figure that out because it seems like it's knowable. Yeah, it does. Like email, phone call, something. Something. Right? Somebody knows. Yes. Um, in any case, that Senior City Council did approve that that uh, that settlement. They did so unanimously. Um, however, Council President Shawnee Lou Rivera, after announcing his support for the settlement, his appreciation for the attorneys that negotiated it, and 
reverence for the work that that office does. Mm -hmm. A lot of reverence. Did mention that he had some issues about how the news of the settlement had come to light. Say though, I, I, I do have concerns about the, the timing of the announcement of the settlement. I think that put us in a bit of a difficult situation as a council here. Um, I recognize that we, were, we had discussions that have been referenced here. Um, however, I think that there's a difference between having those discussions about a framework um, and um, the ultimate approval of a settlement, which is what we're doing here today. Uh, announcing that settlement prior to it being decided upon um, puts us in, in, a, in a tough spot. Um, and I want to make sure that the council um, at all times uh, maintains uh, our full authority um, and we don't, um, there are no opportunities for um, us to get anything less than exactly what the council feels like we need in order to be made, for the city to be made whole. I find the statement you made puzzling. As an elected city attorney accountable to the public and given clear direction, especially when settlement communications after we've been given full authority, there is no protection for those communications that were occurring between our attorney and those with whom we were negotiating. And what I'm hearing you say is that I can't speak to the public without permission from the city council. And I don't agree with that position at all. I've always been very measured, and when I talk to the public, I am always very inclusive of this council. But I find that the rules that have been applied to me have been very different than any of my predecessors. And I'll note for the record, I'm the first woman to hold this position. And if I wanna say something, I'm gonna say something. If there is a privilege that I have to respect, I will speak with the council but the public expects to hear from me and I will not be silenced. In the, in the whole scheme of San Diego City Hall yeah. politics, that's just... That's, a, that's about as, as heated as it gets up there, I would say. <laughs> in the, in, I mean... In city council meetings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly members of the public during their public comments yeah. say horrible things. They say homophobic things, they say racist things. A lot, you get a lot of stuff from the public sometimes. Rarely do you get city officials really coming at each other. Well, like let's that. just put this in context. So there yeah. is some mounting yeah. tension between the city attorney, the city council, and the mayor, yes. right? Mostly the city attorney and those two bodies. I think one, that's like one big takeaway here is that it's sort of remarkable that this many years in, there's still ongoing dispute about the proper role of the city attorney's office and how they should act and, and let's talk just to the public. Remind folks that this is an elected position. So she yeah. does her her boss is us. Like yeah. her boss are the voters. And they every elected city attorney eventually comes around to realizing that they are actually accountable only to the voters. But they also have this dual role which is that they are also the legal representative, the attorney. Yeah the lawyer for the corporation known as the city of San Diego. And so when you're the lawyer for a client like the city and the leaders of the city, they, they, they also assume you should, you should follow them like a, like a lawyer would. A general counsel for a, a company, a corporation, for instance, doesn't typically like rip the board of directors in the press, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not typically. Not, not something you usually see. no. It is pretty big news when it happens. Yeah. Uh, so there's that, and that's been mounting. And it, 
you know, there was a couple of years ago where they, they came up with a ballot initiative that would have stripped her, the city attorney, of the job of being this 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 sort of corporate attorney. And she could be an elected or that person could be an elected position, but would only prosecute misdemeanors like they do now. Yeah. And then they would they would have their own corporate attorney that they would appoint. Yeah. I kind of think that might come up again. I wouldn't be at all surprised. I mean, and that was interesting. So that was maybe two years ago now, yeah. I'd say. It was Councilman Mark Kersey first proposed that. And if you remember, you know, City Attorney Mara Elliott was the city attorney at the time. And she received that as like a rebuke of her personal. Yeah. Not uh, a forward-looking reform about the office and the arrangement of local government. It was like about firing Mara Elliott uh, was the way she received it. Which is interesting because when she was running for office, as we've said a million times, she didn't just say that like, it, well, what she said specifically was that the the county government's arrangement where the county appoints a general counsel and then that general counsel doesn't have a very public facing role uh, was something that she said that she would embody as the city attorney. And as you, as you say, that never tends to hold up. City attorneys often say that and then they abandon it once in office. But it, it is interesting that like a few years later, it's still going on. So she makes the point that this is a new precedent a new expectation for the city attorney's office that was not applied to her predecessors. And I won't say that I have any memory of Jan Goldsmith or Mike Gary um, being chastised for announcing a settlement that had been the parameters of which had been approved by the city council, but the the actual settlement hadn't been brought back to them yet. I don't know about that particular situation. There was plenty of times, though, when they got chastised for saying things. Exactly. I was, I was thinking like more generally, the idea that it's like new, yeah. that the city attorney's office is often at odds with the city council and the city council like dislikes the way that they're handling legal affairs publicly. That is not new at all. That's just not 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 the case at all. But she does say something in particular that I, I think has some merit, which is, you know, Mayor Todd Gloria announced the, who his choice for the sports arena bidder. Mm-hmm. And that needed to go to city council for approval. It wasn't finalized, um, but he went to the public with it. Now, whether it's true that we in the public learned what his selection was before the city council, which I guess is is what's at heart of the allegation here from Johnny Rivera. Maybe that's not so clear, but but big picture, if what she's saying is lots of officials say things publicly still that still good. need to get approved, I think that's true. I think that's a, a fine fine point. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, speaking of that. Storyline about Sports Arena that we've been following for some time. We probably had our biggest meeting and development in that for some time because they chose a partner. So now the city of San Diego, the city council, and mayor have officially chosen to enter into negotiations with the Midway Rising team. That's the team led by the Zephyr developer team, uh, Chelsea Investments, and Legends is going to build the arena. And they are going to now go and meet with city staff and make actual promises about what they're going to build, actual agreements, not just renderings, but, but, but actual things. And a timeline of when it will be built and how it's going to all work. And then that 
will come forward to the city council for review. Now, the city council got two things out of it. One, they asked for the independent budget analyst that works for them to attend those meetings. Yeah, not to be a part of the negotiations, but to observe them. Right, so that they can report about how they've gone. And they got quarterly updates. Yes. Promised. Yes. So that we all can see how these negotiations are going every quarter. And we were mocking those as probably not being very substantive. Yes. Uh, if if history is any lesson, it may not be. Well, I know. They're going to lay everything out, open the books for us. We'll have total clarity on every every few months. Right. Um, so, and like in terms of the timeline here and, and maybe, you know, if the, this isn't well understood and maybe we bear some responsibility for that, these bids that people put in are like not legally binding contracts and the, no, it's a war of renderings. It's a war of renderings. Yeah. I mean, like it's a little bit more specific than renderings, but it's not any more binding than renderings. Right. Right. Um, so they chose this, like the thing that they chose here is this group. You know, and um, now they begin the process of going through negotiations for an actual agreement of what the project will look like. And then any changes after that would have to come back for like an official vote to approve those changes. Um, So the timeline we're looking at here, according to the city council meeting, is they're going to do environmental review. And, you know, they're going to like the developer put these plans together without actually like physically going to the site and having, you know, technical experts be able to look at the soil and the, you know, load bearing fault lines lines and that sort of thing. So they'll need to do all that work to determine whether the, you know, scale of development they have proposed is even physically possible. Um, And then they'll also do like an environmental review. And after all of that, they'll come back with a, development agreement a contractual agreement about what this project is going to look like so i hope you haven't like fallen in love with exactly not just like the unit type number and all that but like where they say things are going to go because like that stuff is like now we start actually putting pen to paper on that some of that stuff you asked me andrea the other day why it mattered Mm-hmm. <laughs> <That's a> good... <laughs> what were you wondering are you implying like they shouldn't or no i was just curious why should people care i mean you know we hear all of this of um bidders and then you know obvi- i watched part of the council meeting and there was like well they added more units after the 90 grace period blah blah, blah yeah. and then oh can we get the dependent budget analyst to sit in, in a, you know like to a regular person they probably don't care about any of that stuff yeah, they shouldn't just, care about that. Why are we even yeah. talking about that? I mean, so like... I yeah, mean, they should, but no one they should, probably don't. No reasonable person needs to care about like the minutia of those decisions. Uh-huh. It, 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 starting at the biggest possible picture, it's pretty easy to make a case to care. And like the case gets weaker as you get narrower and narrower, I would say. Uh, but like big picture, it's 50 acres of public land in the middle of the city. Land of that sort doesn't come into the public realm often. If we were going to buy from like a private entity that much land, it would be among the biggest investments you could imagine making. And so like when you have it, you need to be a good steward of that public land. You need to do things with it that benefit the people of the region because a city, um, among other things, you know, it's like it's like (laughs) it's a landowner. It's a landlord with a police force in some ways, you know, and 
the, so like taking care of 50 acres of publicly owned land to provide either new revenue in the city into the city that you can provide services with or direct benefits that people in the city can enjoy in the in the you know as parks or affordable housing are all like basically the nuts and bolts of what the what a local government does yeah and just just also even more simply like it's a big part of the centerish of the city that will based on what we decide now and and what this team works out with the mayor will reshape it for now the next 200 years yeah and so it's like or more you know right like it's like this we get a chance to as this generation we get a chance to redo this major kind of armpit of san diego and turn it into something <laughs> like pretty significant and i say that because point loma is kind of an arm yeah and yeah. the rest of san diego is the is the chest the, the torso yeah it's and that, there really the is a pit there yeah and yeah. it's very bad yeah and it'd be nice to see it activate a little bit yeah i mean if you live in the city like your day-to-day interaction is like that that is your life that's your quality of life is like where, where you go and what you do and what it's like when you do it um so but i like i i do think it's like poorly understood in general that these bidding processes are are like fake fake in in a lot of ways you yeah, know you're 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 fighting with it's like a it's a show you're fighting with other bidders yeah to 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 show you're the best and then you get to go and come up with a whole different plan with the city but and what that's you can what you actually do and that's what we're going to wait now probably a year or yeah. more to mm-hmm. get the actual plan and so like the city council members as they were approving this plan were all dancing around this question how do you, how do you make it this less fake how 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 do we make this as real as possible like Shawnee Lo Rivera said something at one point like uh, i wanted to make sure that the winning bidder isn't like the one who told the best lie right and um i mean i think there's an extent to which like you kind of can't you know like that you well we can get to it let's, let's i want to get through a couple things but one one we'll we'll put a pin in that for a second i want to i want to start with uh councilman raul campillo yeah talk about a little bit more fire in the city council hearing this week yeah so raul campillo was the lone vote against this proposal. And he started his public comments like very clearly as a person who had walked up to that dais that day with a plan. He he was not shooting from the hip. He had some real ideas he wanted to get out. Um, Do you think he watched a few good men before the I, it like well, so <laughs> before he was on the city council, he was a deputy city attorney uh, and he had his like best I want the truth. <laughs> it's very loud. Uh, he had his best prosecutor uh, performance on. Um, just like for a taste of, I, I just want to like draw out some color of what we're talking about here. This is not the type of questioning we typically get from city council but members. But we love it when it comes. Yeah. Usually the way like a city council person talks to staff or an applicant before them is like asking questions that they already know the answer to to get them on record. You don't usually like really stick it to somebody on the other side. Uh, but here is how Raul Campillo, this first clip we have is literally his first words in his uh, comment period. Uh, to my knowledge, Legends has not been the lead developer for an arena of this size or an arena from the ground up. And it's my understanding that the majority of Legends portfolio, as remarkable it is and as many, present, as many partnerships as you have, 
is built around the operations and management of entertainment venues and other profit streams. Why should I be confident that Legends can deliver this type of stadium as part of this proposal if it hasn't been done before? And he goes, so he goes through that. He is like talks to the stadium developer and says, like, you've never done this. Why would I possibly believe you can do this? And as far as an NBA and NHL team is concerned, wouldn't they want to build their own arena? Why would we think that we could build an arena for them that they're going to want to move into? That's not how these leagues work anymore. And then he like quickly and abruptly moves over to Chelsea, the affordable housing developer in the project, and starts laying out allegations of wage theft that the Carpenters Union has leveled against subcontractors that had been hired by Chelsea. That's what he does here. We've heard some concerns about major labor violations that have occurred on previous projects led by Chelsea. Uh, I know that uh, Councilmember LaCava asked at, at, uh, at committee about these sort of things, labor brokers that undermine wages and use undocumented workers without work permits, engaging in cash pay to avoid, uh, avoid documentation. Can Chelsea commit to not using the following subcontractors in the Midway development, Alta Drywall and Rockwell? We cannot use uh, or commit to that today, but we will do a investive or in intensive investigation into Alto Drywall. Um, we've heard the uh, accusations, accusations uh, just recently, and we will do the investigation in-house and make sure that we do not have any lack of compliance. We have a third-party uh, compliance agency that makes sure that all of our subcontractors are compliant on every one of our jobs. So, to be clear, you cannot commit to keeping those two subcontractors that, based on the evidence that I've seen and that has been presented to me, and I'm, I'm pretty sure to most of the council here, seeing the wage theft that goes on there, you can't commit to, to keeping them out. So, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's, he's going point by point through this. He, do, he, go, he brings up that the Zephyr development includes a rel relatively complex uh, tax arrangement for that uses subsidies to build infrastructure and qu uh, criticizes them for for doing that rather than paying for infrastructure upgrades on their own. Uh, then he points out to the point of this not being a real proposal that all of their unit counts have like round numbers, which suggests that they like they haven't actually gone on and, and done a complex financial pro forma that they're just spitballing it. Uh, and so he doesn't take it seriously. Which, again, is like almost a little bit more honest because they're all spitballing it. Yeah. And like you might as well go with the big round number. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's, just, it's not going to be 4,325. No. And, 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 and even if you call it 4,200, it's probably not going to be that either. Right. Right. Uh, but, you know, he uses it as like an indication that, that, the, that these numbers aren't really based on anything. Um, and so he ultimately votes against it. Everybody else votes um, votes for it. Everybody else's criticism, uh, Shawnee Rivera, others, were like much more like, hey, I want to be very, very clear. When you come back, I'm going to be holding you to these numbers. I do not want to see you come back and tell us that it turns out you can't do this much housing overall or you can't do this much affordable housing or, you know, the income restrictions on the affordable housing need to be different. Like, this is the number. Just so we know, we all know we're super serious that this is the number. Or Do you else, agree that we're super serious? But or else what? Yeah. So that's the, that's the point that I think is like so worth zoning in on is that like, of course, you have to retain your right you know, to have any leverage over the developer going forward. You need to retain the idea that you could walk away. Right. 
But do you, Scott Lewis, actually believe that this city, with all the issues it's had with real estate development, with all the stops and starts it's had on this project in particular, is in a position to feel confident walking away at some future point based on how this project goes? Oh, hell no. So I think somebody made the point really well. Like They will go through a process. It'll go so long. Yeah. And they'll be so far along and all the other teams will will melt away and go do their own thing that like the idea of switching teams will be just verboten. It's just not possible. Yeah. And to, to, and so we have, we have that clip here. Let's play it. One might get chosen today. Time's going to pass. We're going to put a lot of effort into one team and we're going to go down the road while the other two teams abandon their efforts. And after all that time and effort, we're not going to want to abandon the team we've done a lot of work in. That's a lot of time, effort, money that's going to go into this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to your point, like he's not like it. It is true that the city will have every legal opportunity to walk away from this deal between now and two years from now when they have their sort of soft deadline for when they need to come to a contractual agreement. Right. That's true. But it's also true that every incentive absolutely every incentive from this day forward is not to do that in, in unless things turn so bad i mean like to think that you're going to be able to cancel this and walk away because you go from 4250 total units to 4100 and, and and 20 units is just absolutely belied by all of the incentives you have to get this project done so you can have a ribbon cutting and start collecting revenue from it or start you know, opening the housing units or open a new arena. I mean, like it's already been started and and stopped and restarted twice. And that was like bad press that the city didn't like getting. There is one thing we'll have to decide soon. And that is whether this could happen at all because they need to raise the height limit for the area. And you should come watch the debate about that at PolitiFest, October 8th. We've got uh, on the one side, Councilman Chris Kate. And he'll be debating on the other side, um, former Assemblywoman Lori Saldana uh, and Linda Lucas and DK Eniwo from the Chamber of Commerce will also be on the pro side there. So I think that'll be a fiery debate. You've got to moderate that. Good luck. I'm excited. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. 
Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Okay, over the course of three weeks or so, Bill Walton, perhaps the most famous San Diegan around, former basketball legend and current basketball commentator. He's a advocate for bicycles, uh, for Balboa Park, for solar power, big fan of solar power, and probably, as you said, the most famous Grateful Dead and Fish fan out there. There's a there's an old joke. Uh, what, what's the worst seat at a Grateful Dead concert? Right behind him. Right behind Bill Walton. <laughs> so over the course of three weeks, Walton has been sending the mayor of San Diego, Mayor Todd Gloria, a series, an ongoing series of emails about how frustrated he is with the homeless situation in San Diego and in particular how it affects Babel Park. So this was August 28th. He wrote, once again, while peacefully riding my bike early this Sunday morning in Balboa Park, I was threatened, chased, and assaulted by the homeless population in our park. Once again, you've done and continue to do nothing uh, there's a bunch of these, uh, we could pull. He says, I want a tax rebate for the last three years. You're wasting everyone's time, our lives and our resources. You wanted this job. You still have it. Do it. We can no longer use the park. Uh, he talks about bike paths that he used to enjoy. They've all become unusable because of the homeless encampments that you allow to exist on and surrounding our bike paths. Uh, what do you tell the people who want and need our parks but can't go there because the park is now a giant homeless encampment. So, I, I mean, again, lots of pages. Uh, of I'll this. give you, yeah, to, to bring some color to this since this is an audio program, you've got like 50 pieces of paper in your hand. Yes. You're like shuffling through through them to to read a couple sentences. There's there's lots of emails. Yeah, he's very mad. Um, I... So a couple of points on this. There is, it does feel like we've hit a point with homelessness of like a dark point. Like it's the, like it's terrible. And, and the crisis has, has reached a point where people are really upset. I, I don't know. Do you feel it? Yeah. I mean, you see it every day wherever yeah. you go. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think we've said some version of this on the show before. Like it's not to say that the homeless situation in San Diego has been good at any point for the last 10 years. But like right now, it seems to have crossed through some sort of threshold that has really registered with like typical San Diegan. Yeah. You know, I think what got me was a recent trip with my daughter uh, to Petco Park and we were driving home and she said, you know, I think of, I think you're more of an oceans and city guy and I'm more of a, rural farm and mountains girl hmm. and i was like oh why do you say that and she said well cities are so dirty and scary and there's so much 
so many people suffering and I just, I just don't like cities. And I was thinking to myself, like, this is what she thinks a city is. Yeah, this you, is, you, cho- you chose to raise her here in what you think is a, a nice place with a high quality of life. And her experience of it is that it's threatening and, and that you see people in misery and you must be confronted with that constantly constantly yeah. and and it's just a it's it's then there was the downtown numbers so the ut yeah. got a lot of traction i don't know if you noticed this gary warth from his story about how bad it had gotten in downtown and we talked about those numbers the week before but that story i, I had like five people send that to me mm-hmm. like 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 it was an inflection point for this storyline and it was about the downtown San Diego downtown partnerships point or count that they do every month about the tents and, and the homeless population downtown. And it had reached a record point. Yeah. And I, did you see Dave Rollins comment in that? So Dave, he's a spokesperson for the mayor and they asked him about it. And he said, he said, quote, Dave Rowland, deputy director of communications for mayor Todd Gloria said the record high count should be taken with a grain of salt because getting a precise number is extremely challenging. He said, quote, what is not in dispute, however, is that homelessness continues to be an extremely difficult challenge, not only in San Diego, but throughout California and across the country. There's two things going on with that. There's a part of me that suspects that they're disputing the number. Yeah. And and then there's another part of me that feels like that they're just trying to say like, well, yeah, nobody can figure this out. It's just a, it's, it's, it's just too bad. Yeah, well, and so like on the on the number, yeah, that number isn't right. I'm I'm, sh- I'm sh- certain of it. Problem is, I don't know if it's too big or too small. Right. <laughs> but but yeah, is, is it is it not precisely right? Did Almost, they count literally every person living no. downtown that doesn't have shelter? Of course not. And the issue is, they've been doing it the same way. Yes. For a very long time, and the trend is what we can rely on, and the you know the big picture you know you want to if you want to average it and do a you know three month rolling average to to iron out some of the some some of the imprecision and and you know acknowledge that it's not perfect fine it's not good you, the, the, your your point that it isn't perfectly right accomplishes nothing because no one could with a straight face dispute the basis of the real question which is why is it getting bigger instead of smaller yeah and that's obviously the case not not only is it obviously the case in the numbers, it's obviously the case if you live in the city. So like why are we even bothering disputing the numbers of the methodology? Like what what are you trying to accomplish except distraction and deflection? So I asked the mayor's office to respond mm-hmm. to these emails and the situation. He said, uh, I got this from spokeswoman Rachel Lang. She says Bill fr- Bill's frustration about the homeless crisis is shared by people across the city, including the mayor himself. In cities across the United States, again, it's a bigger thing. In addition to this being a problem that cities and states across the country are grappling with, it's also important to note that homelessness in San Diego did not start overnight. Um, But to the issue at hand that stoked Bill's ire, as Voice of San Diego has covered, people living on the streets since the pandemic seem to be in worse straits than ever with more behavioral health and substance abuse issues than we've seen prior to the pandemic. In our efforts to address the neighborhood impacts of homelessness, particularly encampments and trash and unsanitary conditions, our crews are finding an increase in hoarding behaviors 
and antisocial behaviors such as vandalism and unwillingness to put trash in available receptacles. It goes on and on uh, about their plans, the shelter, affordable housing, and sanitary efforts. But I think it all goes back to like, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's how long can that continue? Because this, this sort of frustration and the suffering in the streets and the deaths yeah. in the streets are going to continue to mount. And, it, and if we keep getting, well, it's really complicated. I don't know how that, I don't know where that breaks. Yeah. I mean, like if I could cut through why I think like Bill Walton specifically that sending these emails matters, it's not just cause like he, I think he supported Todd Gloria and he's, but he's basically like a, a high profile regular guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he, 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 he's not a regular guy in some ways. He's obviously wealthy and he lives in a nice house, I'm sure. Amazing. But he experiences the city in essentially as a regular guy. And so for him to be losing his patience with what's going on and he's famously supportive of the Todd Gloria world. Like, right. This is, that's, this isn't, uh, this isn't somebody who yeah. hated him for a long time. Or something. Yeah. This is his, his relevance here is as a proxy for the other, you know, would be supportive patient people in town who are starting to lose their patience. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that, that's what I think it's indicative of is, is, is he's, I mean, I'm sure people who listen and listen to this show, if they, if they don't fall into that category, they have friends that do. And you've, I, I, I imagine most people are like me and they're hearing concerns from people that they didn't used to hear concerns about any matter of municipal concern. So I, I actually uh, sat down for a podcast interview with Council President Shawnee Lo Rivera about um, this, I, and I just started with that question: like, what, what would, what do you tell people in who are having these frustrations? Mm-hmm. And he said, "Look, I, you know, I, I try to acknowledge what they're seeing, that I agree with it." And he said this uh, about what um, you know is is kind of like intolerable that he's willing to confront these encampments about. It's uncomfortable to see. Um, it's even more uncomfortable for those who are experiencing it. Um, so the first thing is acknowledging that it's not okay, that it's gotten worse. And I, I start always with eviction prevention, homelessness prevention. Um, over the past couple of years, since the pandemic started, um, City of San Diego, through the Housing Commission's put, I think it was over $218 million in emergency rental assistance out into the community. We passed a no-fault eviction moratorium earlier this spring to address what legal aid had said was a rising cause of evictions. And we know that evictions lead to homelessness. So that's the prevention side. We've significantly expanded shelter capacity. Um, We are trying to do things to make housing more affordable and accessible. It's not good enough. We are doing things. I I, I actually truly lack the words. it's always bothered me, and it's different when you feel a different level of responsibility for you know making things better. And you, you can actually see that it's getting worse despite efforts to do better. Keep an eye on the feed for that full interview with Council President Sean Elo Rivera. It is all about homelessness, what he thinks about when he makes decisions about it, the plans they do have in place, and what keeps him up about it. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this part of San Diego and that puts on PolitiFest 2022. We're the most popular public affairs podcast that is part of putting on that great festival of panels and debates. See them all at politifest.org and uh, get some tickets 
You can get those tickets at politifest.org. Get a couple for you, your friends. Students are free. Again, that's politifest.org. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is Managing Editor. Andrea Lopez Villafaña is also Managing Editor. Nate John is our expert producer. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. 